0: Thank you, Brother Lowe, and thank you, Pastor Buford, for your kind words. Uh, I'm glad you did not call me Elder Buford. Thank you. (laughs) Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house of God today. You know, 55 years, it it took that long for this church to get here. And every step was heading in a direction that eventually got us to where we are today and I'm thankful to see all of you here in the house of God before service I walk through the Sunday school hallway and peered into the classrooms and lots of activity going on down there that's a great thing but I'm glad to see what God is doing in the lighthouse I thank, I'm thankful to him let's pray together Lord Jesus I thank you I thank you for your realness to us, for your blessedness to us, for your mercy and grace that you've shed abroad in our hearts, in our lives, and in this church. Pray that you'd lead us. Bless us, Lord, according to your wisdom, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We go into the word of the the Lord in just one moment. This church has been here 55 years now, and some of you, though, uh, may have been in church longer than 55 years. So some of you out, have outlasted this local church by your apostolic experience. But down through the years, there's been quite a few little phrases or apostolic cliches that we've heard, and, and the world has no concept of what these phrases mean. For example, I plead the blood. Anybody know what I plead the blood means? Have any of you ever done that? You pled the blood over some of life's situation. The world out there has no concept what I plead the blood means. No grasp. Um, Or what about the phrase, I prayed through last night. Through what? (laughs) What did you pray through? A barrier? Well, yeah. What did you pray through? We, We know what praying through means. How many of you have ever prayed through? And even after you receive the Holy Ghost, some situations happen and you need to pray through that. Any of you prayed through those things? Yeah. The world outside the doors of the church don't understand the phrase or sentence, I prayed through. But we do. That's a good thing. The world has no concept of what we mean when we say praying through the tabernacle. I'm glad for our pastor who for several weeks in a row, he led us, taught us in the the concept of praying through the tabernacle. He admitted often it wasn't original with him. It's been around a while praying through the tabernacle. But last Sunday night, he wasn't teaching about it, but he led us in actually praying through the tabernacle. And if you were here, you know what happened. As we had been taught and then we were led in experiential fashion and we experienced what it meant to enter into that most holy place with God Himself. It took a little journey to get to that place, but we made it there. We understand what that means, but the world outside these doors don't understand our terminology. It's kind of apostolic language, you know. But there's another phrase that... that. I've heard often, you probably have, and that is holding on to the horns of the altar. How many of you have ever heard that phrase, holding on to the horns of the altar? The world outside these doors have no concept of what that holding on to the horns of the altar mean. And there's some people probably here in this room this morning that doesn't understand or do not understand what holding on to the horns of the altar mean. I would like in the next few minutes to try to do a little teaching, but also to, to lead us experientially in holding on to the horns of the altar. An altar, and, and I understand that this is the pulpit, folks. I'm not confused or getting senile. I know this is called a pulpit in this in this building. The altar area is generally known as the altar in front. And some churches will have a wooden structure there that is the altar. But here, because of space and other reasons, we have an altar area. And and God has done some great works here. One definition of an altar, it's where divine meets humanity and something happens. I like that definition of altar, and today we're going to be talking about that special sacred place where God, divinity, and man, humanity, meet, and something wonderful happens. In order to really explain it, and I know it's to be a teaching mode for a little bit, but I would just like to get us up to speed on what altars and the horn of the altar means in Scripture. In Genesis, at the very start, altars were made. Throughout Genesis, different people built different altars. But I would like to take it to the book of Exodus to try to define what I'm, what I'm limiting my altar discussion this morning to. And that's from Exodus chapter 27, verse 1 and 2. And in Exodus chapter 27, verse 1 and 2, I'm not going to read it at this point. But God instructed them... To make an altar. Later in the chapter, verse 12, I think some more instruction. But build a brazen altar, and on each of the four corners have a brazen horn that's there, and and the whole altar is overlaid with with bronze, and, and it's an altar of sacrifice. The pastor taught this in in walking us through the tabernacle plan. But that was where the smaller animal was laid whole on an altar. He was tied to the horns of the altar so he wouldn't kick and buck and leave. Sometimes it seems like a good idea to leave the altar when the knife's approaching. Just a good, seems like a smart thing to do. So the horns were there to tie the sacrifice to the altar the larger animals, they would kill them beforehand and just put pieces of that animal on there to burn. They didn't have to tie those pieces, but the the smaller animals, they put them there and they slew them actually on the altar. They tied them down on the altar. Exodus chapter 29, verse 12, And thou shalt take of the blood of the bullock, and put it upon the horns of the altar with thy finger, and pour all the blood beside the bottom of the altar. When they slew an animal, they would catch its blood, and, and they would sprinkle it on each of the four horns of the altar. There was significance of that. And then they would pour it at the base of the altar. They would, they would apply it to various other places throughout the tabernacle itself. There was things they did with the blood, but one of the first things they did with the blood was apply it to the horns of the altar. A lot of discussion among the Jewish folk as to why there were four horns. Why weren't there three horns on the altar? Why was it a, a square, a rectangular altar? Why didn't they have a, a triangle-shaped altar or a circle altar? But one was said, one group say that it's because of the four corners of the earth. And Jehovah considered the entire earth an altar unto him. He created man and ki- mankind, and he created animals, and everything was for his pleasure. Everything was to be offered as a sacrifice unto him. We were made for his pleasure and to serve his will and purpose. So the Jews considered. The, the, the circle of the earth the four points of the earth the north, south, east and west of the earth and they, some groups of them feel that that's the reason there were four it. It, it said everything is a sacrifice to God Exodus chapter 29 verse 43 and 46 and, and there, speaking of this altar there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory and I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar I will sanctify also Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. That I may dwell among them I am the Lord their God. What was the significance of the altar and the horns of the altar? That was sanctified by God himself. That was ordained by God himself to be a meeting place of divinity and humanity. That's where God met men at a point of sacrifice. I know He met them in the holiest of holy places. I understand that. But this is what He met. He said that I will meet with the children of Israel at that altar and at the horns of the altar. Early in the, in the history of the people of Israel, God understood the weakness of humanity and the accidents that sometimes happen to humanity. So He instituted six cities of refuge. Some of you are familiar with that. There were three cities on the east of the Jordan River, three cities on the west of the Jordan River, and all of them was at a convenient location that if someone accidentally killed somebody. One of the examples, if if you're chopping wood and the axe head slips off the handle, flies through the air and hits somebody in the head and kills them, well, the avenger of that person's blood, the nearest of kin, could come after the man who had the axe and, and kill him because you kill my brother. But God arranged a deal. They could come to a city of refuge and until they were found innocent, then they could stay there and be safe because it was a place of sanctuary. In our world today, in our nation today, there are cities that have called themselves sanctuary cities. It's not quite exactly what, what God had in mind in these cities of sanctuary. But at the same time, even before those cities of refuge came about, there was something in the mind of God that, that let him show mercy to people. And here I'm reading from Exodus 21. And by the way, this is before the cities of refuge. But it, it pre, it's a preliminary projection of those cities of refuge. But, but God said, He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then will I appoint thee a place whether he shall flee. That's God saying it before the cities of refuge ever came to be in. I'm going to appoint a place where he can flee. But if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor and slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. It's one of the, the very few scripture that addresses this part of the subject I'm dealing with, but I feel it's strong enough for me to stand solidly on that scripture and the principle that it gives. God plainly says that I'm going to make a place for you to have sanctuary in a time of distress and trouble. But if you are are guilty of murdering someone with guile in your heart, then the people around have the privilege to remove you from the altar and then slay you. Why does he use that phrase, remove you from the altar? It's because even in that early time, God called his altars a place of sanctuary. If someone would go to the horns of the altar and begin pleading for mercy, God was merciful to them at least for a time in that setting. It was a place of refuge even before the cities of refuge. When the cities of refuge were made, one of the cities was Shechem, which was an early place where the tabernacle was, which is where the altar was. And so the altar even was a viable part of the cities of refuge, at least one of them in particular, the city of Shechem. Later, though, the children of Israel, after the death of of Solomon, the kingdom was going to be starting to be split. Kingdom was split. Rehoboam took one, Jeroboam took the other. Kingdom was split. And in order to try to make that northern kingdom superior, because the northern kingdom didn't have Jerusalem and the temple, so they were left out in that sense. So they built pagan temples in in Dan and uh, Bethel. They built those temples there. And when you read it, those temples had horns on their altars also. But God cursed them. Amos chapter 3 verse 14. The horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. Why would God just... To curse what these people had done in building pagan altars and horns on the altars. Why did he say the horns would be cut off and let them fall to the ground? Why didn't he just smash the whole altar? It It was because there was a power invested in God's horn of the altar. There was some power there. There was some strength there. There was some purpose there. And he didn't want a pagan altar, pagan or not. He didn't want it to be built like his altar was. So he prophesied in Amos that those pagan altars would be destroyed. Now that kind of brings us up to a story. I was talking to Brother Cardwell earlier this morning. He mentioned, you know, not everyone that went to to those horns was all right. And he's exactly right because there's a story. It happens after David is coming to the very end of his kingdom. He's almost to the point of death. And when he gets near his death, He had already declared to Bathsheba that Solomon, the son of Bathsheba and David, Solomon was going to be the next king. He he said that under God. He said he will be the next king. And then while he was very low at the end of his life, another one of his sons who wasn't pleasing to God, Adonijah, decided that he would become king. And so he got Joab and a priest and several other people around him and he got them to gather up a a group of people. They were going to have a big party, slay animals. And he was at a party getting ready to declare that he was king. But while he was at the party, this was some palace intrigue going on. While he was at the party, someone slipped and told David what was going on. David still had enough presence of mind to realize that's not what he wanted to happen under God's authority. And so he called Bathsheba in, who was Solomon's mother, brought her in, and she was saying that that you promised me that Solomon would be in. So he said, I will declare it right now. He sent messengers, he got Solomon, and he put Solomon on the king's own mew, marched him through the city, declared and heralded that he was going to be the king. And here is Adonijah who was wanting to become, setting everything in, in order for him to become king. He gets word what David has done. And he's frightened for his very life. Everybody else leaves the party. They don't want to be connected with what Adonijah was doing. But Adonijah, he knew in the back of his mind, if I can get to the horns of the altar, maybe I can have safety. Maybe I can find sanctuary. And so he headed for the horns of the altar. And he threw himself on the altar and held on to the horns of the altar. And when it was told to to Solomon what was happening, Solomon... Wasn't too pleased, but yet Solomon did say some things that were healthy on his part. 1 Kings 1.50 And Adonijah feared because of Solomon. He arose, went and caught hold of the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah feareth King Solomon. He caught hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear unto me today that he will not slay his servant with the sword. And then Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, there will not a hair of his head fall to the ground. But if wickedness shall ever be found in him, he shall die. And so Solomon did that. Let him go to his own house and he lived for a while as a worthy man. But it didn't last too long because he still had aspirations to be the king. King David died. Solomon ascended to the throne. And now Solomon is in charge, not David. Some things happen. Some, some things transpire, and Solomon has Adonijah killed. And as soon as Joab, who was the general, as soon, and part of the, the conspiracy, as soon as Joab heard what, what Solomon had had done to Adonijah, then he decided he better do what Adonijah did the first time. He better run for the altar. Now let me make something clear. When you look and read after the life of Joab, Joab was not a God-fearing man. He was not a man of the altar. He was not a man who sought after God. David was a man of war, but the Bible plainly says he was a man after God's own heart. But Joab was a man of war also. But Joab did not seek after God. He was his own kind of a man. And he had killed some some good men and David didn't like it then, but he let it slide for a while. But now that Solomon's ruling, Solomon feels like he needs to, to To clear his dad's name in some of these areas. And so Joab runs to the the altar. He clings to the altar. And he asks for for mercy. But Solomon had no mercy on him. The one who was sent to kill him said, we're going to kill you. He said, no, no. He said, I'm going to stay here. This is Joab's word. I'm going to stay here until I die. He was casting himself on the mercy of not of the God of the altar, but of the king. And because of his past sins, past failures, he did not find mercy at that altar. It was, it was almost like the man who, it was said he, he burned his candle for the devil, and then at the end, when his candle went out, he blew the smoke in God's face. That's almost what Joab was doing. He had lived a stranger to the altar. But now at the end of it all, when his sins are stacking up against him, he thinks he can run to to an image because all he ever considered it was just a piece of furniture. All he ever considered it was just a physical thing. There was nothing spiritual to that for Joab. And now it comes a time in his life when he needs the spiritual truth of it, but all he can hold on to is the form of it. What a horrible place to be in. So he was he was killed. 1 Kings chapter 2. You can read that. I want to leave that story right there just a little bit. I've mentioned some about the purpose of the horns of the altar was to tie the sacrifice on it. There are some times in my life and in your life that we need to take it farther than what Joab considered that as just a piece of furniture just a physical thing there we have to understand that there is a spiritual truth in all of this and I want to I get there in Psalm chapter 118 verse 27 God is the Lord which hath showed us light bind the sacrifice with cords even unto the horns of the altar there's, there's Bible to say that the sacrifice needs to be bound to the horns of the altar. Now I would like to, to ta- and leave that physical altar with Joab, but I would like to take it in what God really meant in the fulfillment of the, of the type and shadow of the Old Testament. The Bible teaches us that the Old Testament is a schoolmaster to bring us into a knowledge, really, of Jesus Christ. And that's what... The, the altar should have done for them. It should pointed them in the future. But now when we get into the New Testament, there is still an altar. And I would like to try to, to validate that. And at this point, I won't, I'm just trying to teach you something. There are several purposes to teaching. one purpose of teaching is just to share information with you. But another purpose of teaching is to convince you of something. And I want to do more this, this morning than just share some facts with you. I want to convince to you that Jesus Christ is the altar and He's the horns of the altar and He's the sacrifice that was on the altar and He was the priest that made the sacrifice and He was the God of, of eternity that accepted the sacrifice that He made. Jesus Christ was all of that. And I want to do my best this morning to convince you that we don't depend upon form. We don't depend upon pro we somehow depend on the Lord Jesus Christ and when we need need something that we cannot do we can go and cling to the horns of the altar there was one who's bigger than me and bigger than you who died on a cross that cross was his altar it's where he was sacrificed you can even say it was a four pointed altar one pointed down, one pointed that, one pointed that, and one pointed up. We could type that in a lot of different directions. But I want to read some scripture. Psalm 118 verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler, And the horn of my salvation and my high tower. There's a lot of time we describe and use all those other phrases. But this morning I want to center out and lift out. He is the horn of my salvation. He is the horn of my salvation. The horn in those days was a symbol of strength. Sometimes the prophet would get a set of horns and hold it up to his head and he would prophesy because he was portraying strength of Jehovah God and others. The horn was, some of the horns was off of a bullock. Some horns were off of a ram, but all of those were images of strength and power. The Lord is the horn of my salvation. Go to a New Testament verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that it beset before us. Anybody know the next one? Looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. I want to tell you, the Lord is the horn of our salvation. And when I need healing, when I need salvation, when I need comfort, when I need guidance, I go to the horn of my salvation. There's no other name. Hallelujah. What about when Zacharias heard that he was going to be a daddy? little hesitation in him and God said okay be, be deaf and mute till the baby comes and sure enough he was but when his tongue was loosed he gave a blessing or, or a, a prophecy of a sort I want you to notice what he said in Luke chapter 1 starting with verse 68 this is what Zacharias the father of John the Baptist said but he was speaking of Jesus blessed be the Lord God of Israel For he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and hath raised up the horn of salvation. Now this is what what John the Baptist did, the dad said. He has raised up the horn of salvation. There is a link to the Old Testament, horns of the altar with Jesus Christ himself. I am so thankful that in my life, I have known people who clung to the horns of the altar. They didn't give up when times were tough, but they held on to the altar. They kept pushing and straining and reaching to hold on. You couldn't pry their fingers. Joab was wrong in what he was doing, but he said, I'm going to die here. But I have known people who said, I'm going to die here, depending on Jesus Christ to be my Savior, my Comforter, everything I need. Hallelujah. When I was a boy growing up, when Brother Carville came to my home church as pastor, he and Sister Carville, in 1965, I got the Holy Ghost in 1966. So Brother Carville is my father in the gospel. We had a lady evangelist that night, Sister Janet Trout. She's my mother in the gospel. But back in the day, and even still, Today, when school starts, women's prayer meeting on Tuesday. I don't know when they have it now, but when I was little growing up, and for years, Tuesday morning women's prayer. A couple of weeks before school started, the mothers brought their children to ladies' prayer. Sister Car will tell them what they did with those children. They set them. On that wooden altar. Why? Because those mothers knew there was a value. If I want this child to be saved in a school atmosphere, in whatever thing the world can throw at them, if I want my children to be saved, I've got to get them on the altar. I've got to cling to the horns of the altar if I ever expect them to be saved. And year after year after year, mothers would put their children on the altar. It was always on that altar, wasn't it? I always remember it. Always, because that was the women's side of the church. That was the men's side of the church. Men prayed over there. Women prayed over there in the old brick building. One time, well, lots of times, men's altar over here. I can remember kneeling down, seeking the Holy Ghost and sleeping. Everybody else would be praying. I knew I ought to go to the altar. I'd go to the altar and I'd fall asleep. Everybody else get up praying over, and my dad would kind of nudge me a bit. Okay, bud. I'd quit praying, you know. But after, that's pretty good practice, pretty good habit to get into. Finally, I got a little older and aware, and I got serious about it. And I'd be praying at the altar, but Sister Carver, Brother Murphy Royer, he was older then. He couldn't kneel down and stay down very long. But I would be kneeling at this end of that altar. He would sit right next to me on the altar. And Brother Murphy Royer would be praying just his faith. He'd pat that altar while he was praying for me. Why? He knew that if I ever was going to make it in this world, I had to pray through that old term. I had to pray through and I was at a glorious place to experience that. But he was holding on to the horns of the altar on my behalf. He wanted me there, and I can remember him time after time praying with me at the altar. I'm so thankful that somebody stuck it out with me and prayed for them. Years ago, Grandma Rowe, your brother and sister Carl will remember her, she died at 105. <laughs> her children were pretty old too by that time. But she had one son, Andrew, that left. The Lord early in his life, married out of the church, I think, and he was out 35 years. It's a long time, folks. When he left the church, Grandma Royer some called her Aunt Louisa—Grandma Royer started fasting, and I forget. It seemed like it was two days a week. Yes, it's Carl was holding up two fingers. Two days a week, she fasted for her son. She did that every week people would come to her house she would serve them food but her she her own self would not eat it because she was fasting for her son andrew she kept that up for 34 years until he prayed back through hallelujah i don't remember when he left god but i remember when he came back died at 99 and a half years old almost as old as his mother brother andrew royer The pastor would have loved him because he went shrimping in the gulf. Hallelujah. She held on to the horns of the altar. I want to tell you tonight if you have a prodigal hold on to the horns of the altar. Don't ever let go. Don't ever let go. Let me tell you a story. It happened to Brother Paul Reynolds and his wife, Sister Beth, August the 27th of 1979. They had just been back home from the mission field in Jamaica for just a, a very short time. They had been gone away for 10 years. And now their son is 18. This is their son's 18th birthday. She had gone to the store to get some stuff. The house was decorated festive attitude party. The boy was turning 18. That was something they were really looking forward to. It was something that they thought would would happen, something that was a good thing. When she got home, though, the house was somber. All the decorations were up, but the spirit of the house had changed. It was somber. Her husband stepped out of his office. He had an office in the home. Her husband stepped out, motioned to his wife, come and the, the party hadn't started come, went into the pastor's office and it was it was Brother Reynolds and the son, Steve, and then Sister Reynolds. So the three of them was there. And Brother Reynolds says, I've just gotten some very bad news. And she said, what is that? She said, he said, Steve just told me that he doesn't want to live like we live anymore and he has a group of friends out there that he wants to go move out and live with them live their lifestyle do it their way he said I'm heartbroken there will be no party we have nothing to celebrate and so the son left son left and they did what they had done when they were in Jamaica they did what they did did when they came home whenever situations happened, they went to a prayer room he went to his office and they grabbed a the hold of the horns of the altar and they began praying and they said we're going to die here if we have to we're not letting go of the horns of the altar Steve our son is lost and as they prayed they felt that God told them a few things to do she hung a light in her kitchen window And that light never went out. You've heard the slogan, we'll leave the light on for you, whether you're Motel 6 or whoever. That's what they said. We'll leave the light on. And then she said, you know, our son is 18 years old. He doesn't have any job skills. He's not going to be able to eat very well. And we eat pretty good at our house. So every day, I'm going to fix a meal and I'm going to put a meal together for him and leave it in the refrigerator. On their guest room floor, which, on, which was on ground level, she put a sign in the window, kind of bold and brave to do it, put a sign in the window. Steve, your dinner is in the refrigerator. We'll see you when you, when you come back. We love you. Many nights when they would come home from their night's activities at the church, when they come home, his food would be gone. No thank you, note. Never an acknowledgement. But they held on to the horns of the altar. They did what they could do, but they held on to the horns of the altar and they kept praying and they kept praying and they kept praying. They kept praying. 24 years later, He showed up at church. He prayed back through. He's living for God today. He's the music director of their church. Every time they see a stringy haired, long legged guy running the streets of their city, they think of their son and they pray. Does he have anybody leaving a light on for him? Does he have anybody feeding him? But the good news, she said, is that many of his friends he brought back with him to church said we have we have lots of men that he met out in the world that he has brought back and he's still constantly involved in prison ministry he's constantly reaching people touching them bringing them back getting them baptized in jesus name filled with the holy ghost he is still living for god and being a dynamic soul winner today why because there were some parents that would not let go of the horns of the altar no matter how much life was throwing at them there was better things to do They kept holding on to the horns of the altar and they refused to give up. They refused to give up. When I think of the history of life, of of the lighthouse here, I think of Brother Gilbert. Some of you who studied the history more than me, you could give me a little better details. But while Brother Gilbert was here, he had an accident. He was the first pastor. He had an accident. He was a lineman. He fell off of a, of a pole, I believe, and, and jammed his legs and all, his bones all together, and it really messed him up bad. He had to give up pastoring. And that was a struggle. But yet, somebody in this church kept hanging on to the horns of the altar. Just because our pastor cannot preach does not mean that we're not going to have a church. And somebody kept being persistent, being bold about it, and they held on to the horns of the altar. There was temptations to go elsewhere, I'm sure. They may have had to tie themselves to the horns of the altar. But they crucified self, and there's still a church here today. While Brother Parks was pastor here, Did a good work, but while he was here, he suffered a massive stroke. I could remember coming to the church here when, when Brother Parks was sitting on the platform, but it's because someone put him there. He could not move and get around on his own. Somebody put him there. And it got to the point where they realized he could not pastor. But the church didn't quit. It wasn't his fault. He was a good man. But the church didn't quit just because they have been hit a blow. The devil thought it was a death blow. But some saints here at at this church, they kept praying and seeking God, wanting the church to continue. There's a lot of lost people here in O'Fallon. And somebody wanted to see them saved. And they kept holding on to the horns of the altar. There comes a time when an animal tied to that sacrifice just won't cut it anymore. And although the cross was Christ's sacrifice, when we're holding on to the horns of the altar, there's a lot of time we have to hold on in humility. We have to hold on with repentance. We have to hold on with a surrendering of our will. We can't just jump and run anytime we want. We're holding on. We're committed to seeing what God wants for the lighthouse. We're committed to seeing it come to pass. We ask for God's mercy. We ask for God's grace. And just like something was pursuing Adonijah and Joab, there's something pursuing you. And there's something pursuing me. And we flee to an altar. We put ourselves on that altar because we don't want whatever's pursuing to catch us in the bad sense, physical, spiritual, whatever it is that is the enemy of your soul and of your life. But there's a place at an altar that we can find rest for our soul. Romans 12 verse 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As long as we're clinging to the altar, to the horns of the altar, we will not be conformed to the things of this world, to the ways of this world. As the pastor preached last Sunday morning, we don't have to do that. We can guard our souls when we cling to the horns of the altar. Hallelujah. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast unto our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come boldly. I'm glad that we can do that. When we hold on, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And that's what happens when we're holding on to the horns of the altar. We're, we're grabbing a hold and we're not letting go because we're not just clinging to form. As this church went through the different ages and pastors and times and seasons, if they would have depended on the orator, oratorical ability of the pastor, this church would, still not, would not be still standing today. When a pastor has a stroke, no matter how great of a preacher he is, his voice is silenced at that point. And if you're based on that, you're lost. But if you're based on the power of that altar, if, you're, if, you're, if you have that strong link to the prayer of God and His power, what He did for us on the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it goes past the, the form, the programs. You saw the, the cute little van. Today we call it cute. It seems so short and small and two-toned. And, but back then it was a powerful method of evangelism for them. But as methods and projects, and, and they, they come and go. But as long as we can hold on to that altar, no matter what those programs come and go, choirs can be good in one season of the life, but in the next season it may not be that way. But God is consistent. The only way we can link in with that consistency, that all-powerfulness of God, is when we grab a hold of the horns of the altar and refuse to get up because an altar is where divinity and humanity meet together and something wonderful happens. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's the reason we pray in Jesus' name. Because the power is in the name of the one who hung on that altar. He is the horn of our salvation. You know, worry is the conversation you have with yourself about things you cannot change. But prayer is a conversation you have with God about things that He can change. And I'm glad this church is a praying church. I'm glad that you as individuals are praying people. Because we can only be successful for another 55 years, if God tarries, if we hold on to the horns of the altar. Joab's not a good example of what happens at the altar. Because he didn't have respect for the altar. He was just wanting to spare his own life. It's not the reason we come to this altar. We come to the altar because there was one who who was at that altar before we ever got there who was willing to sacrifice his life. And I come here today willing to sacrifice mine because he sacrificed his. I can come to the altar. This kind of prayer is grabbing hold of the altar, the horns of the altar. If the musician would come back, I've asked them at the close to sing the song that they sang last. It speaks of sacrifice. It speaks of altar. It speaks of that consistency, that dedication to God, but it also speaks of what God does when he meets us at an altar. I was at a total loss at one time in my life. I was active in the ministry, but I, I was, I'd gone to Brother J.T. Pugh's church in Odessa, Texas. And it was, a, it was a time when I was desperate for direction from God. I, I did not need to keep going down a particular path unless that was God's path. Nothing wrong with the path, but, and I was willing to go that path, but is that what God wanted for me? It was a uniquely built church. Part of their Sunday school area, they had enlarged. and, And there was a hallway that they didn't need anymore, but it was still inside the building, and they couldn't knock walls out and make it part of a room just the way the structure was. So it was a long hallway, probably from this wall to that wall, about that long, and the normal width of a nice hall, one door at one end, and no other doors opening onto that hall after they finished all the remodeling. It was just a hall. And they decided they wouldn't waste that hall. So they turned that hall into a prayer room. It had one outside door. And they put a bench all the way along one side. They had nice lighting in it. But it was kind of bare. And, and I can remember going into that prayer room, that long, longest long prayer room, but it's skinny. Going into that hallway of a prayer room. And getting lost in God as I clung to the horns of the altar. As I grappled with God, much like Jacob grappled when he grappled with an angel. I grappled with God. I needed to know the next step, the next path, the next direction. And I grappled with God. I held on to the horns of that altar in that odd prayer room. But God met me there because that's what happens at altars. I remember another time in my life. My wife and i was at a crossroads didn't know i don't mean between the two of us but but in our what we were going to do next as far as ministry and i was i was at baton rouge church brother curtis young was pastor the church was on victoria drive it was it was a beautiful church the church was just a grand church slanting floor the colors were perfect the stained glass was beautiful colonial style it was just a gorgeous gorgeous church and and i can remember one day in the midst of my my concern about what was next in our lives i went to that sanctuary it was one of the most beautiful sanctuaries you could ever walk into of an apostolic church it was gorgeous and i go in there it's a lot different from that prayer room in odessa texas the stained glass it was just perfect immaculate always perfect And I go into that that, that beautiful prayer room and, and I started praying and grappling and grabbing hold of the horns of the altar. Totally different prayer room. Totally different altar seemingly. But the same God met me there because that's what happens at an altar. Divinity meets humanity and something wonderful happens. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm glad that we can know Him. I'm glad that we can pray, and I'm glad that when we meet Him, something wonderful happens. Shall we stand? We talk about the past of this church, but, but I'm concerned about the future of the church, not in a worrisome way. Worry is when I talk to myself about things I cannot change, but I'm concerned about it in a going to the horns of the altar kind of a way, and I want to get a hold of Him and and get His direction because the next years of this church are the most crucial. I really believe there will be more sinners come in contact with this congregation of people in the next few years should God tarry than has had than has happened in the past 55 years. I believe that the, the harvest is, is greater now than ever. The population is greater now than ever. But I think that the God of the harvest is bringing forth people into the harvest field. There's a people here who want to work for God. They want to cling to those horns of the altar as they evangelize, as they go. They want to do it praying and holding on to the horns of the altar. Amen. Amen. I invite you to come. I know it's a Sunday morning, perhaps a few minutes longer than we're accustomed to here. But I would invite you to come To the altar area. As they sing, I invite you to come. Make a fresh commitment to God. If there's things you're struggling with in your life that you want answers to, this altar is a great place for it to happen. Here is where we pray in Jesus' name. Here is where we come in faith. Here is when we come, believe in God to make a difference. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holding on. To the horns of the altar, holding on to the horns of the altar. Hallelujah! 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 God, I'm holding on. To the